2020 is the start of a new decade. Have you made your New Year's resolution or maybe already broken it? Retreats, what are they good for? The Pope makes an apology. How often do you apologize? And should guns be allowed in church to protect the congregation? These questions and more are answered coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Happy New Year, Bishop. John, Happy New Year. It's great to be with you today, as always. You enjoyed some football over the holiday? <laughs> Boy, I sure did. Uh, uh, first and foremost, we had a, a bowl game with FSU this year, which was nice to see them back, the Seminoles in a bowl game. It was but, hard to uh, watch. It, <laughs> well, at least they were there. You know? That's right. <laughs> Half the success is showing up. And, <laughs> right. But it was a, a good time to relax a bit and to watch, as you said, some football, which is uh, getting into the playoffs now. And a lot of people had a chance to spend time with families. Did you get to see your brother over the holiday? I, I did. Um, my brother, Father Stephen, who's a priest in Orlando, for our listeners who may not know, came over after Christmas. So uh, I think Friday of that Christmas week, he came over and visited and stayed overnight, and we got to spend some good time together as family. One of the things when we open up our show is, uh, what's the good news? What's been the good news for Bishop Parks over the last couple of weeks? Well, you mean besides Christmas, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, which is always a joy and a blessing to celebrate that. I would say just, you know, having a little bit of downtime. For me personally, it was good trying to heal my foot a little bit, which the listeners may may remember I seem to have struggles with, and but also just spending time with friends and family and just enjoying that time and celebrating, of course, Christmas and New Year's, which is a great time of year. So we're into the new year. Did you or do you make New Year's resolutions? I try to continually really look at my life. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses, John, because I know many people do make formal resolutions and particularly on New Year's Eve. But I would say this year, maybe more than usual, I was a little bit reflective on my life and thinking about things that I would like to do or accomplish in the new year, Uh, some very personal things that uh, are between me and the Lord, but also, you know, trying to be more present to people this year in my ministry as bishop here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. Oftentimes people make resolutions and within the first couple of weeks, or maybe it might go a couple of months, they drop them. But that doesn't mean we can't get back on the horse later on. Of course not. I mean, that's part of our human nature and our human condition, you know, whether it's a a resolution that we make or go to confession and we promise not to sin again. And lo and behold, uh, not too distant away, we, we seem to fall into those same bad habits and sins. But the point is to continually try to be better people and to become that person that God has created us to be. So whether that's through resolutions or whether it's to through the sacrament of reconciliation, it's all about new beginnings and starting fresh. And I think that was for me personally, going to the penance service before during the Advent season was a good reminder, and of course, trying to continue that habit of going to confession and reconciliation into the new year, that's one of my resolutions to do a little more often than I typically have. I, John, I affirm you in that resolution and encourage our listeners <laughs> to, uh, to take the same uh, commitment this year. 
As we're recording today, we are at the Bethany Center for the Bishops Retreat. You're here welcoming the Bishops of Region 14, I believe it is. Well, it's actually two regions. For those that may not know, the United States is divided into 15 different regions, Episcopal regions. They're geographic, so we're in Region 14, which would include the the bishops from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. So we gather for retreat. But we also invite and and get together with the bishops from Region 4, which would be the mid-Atlantic states, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and they also join us. So we have over 30 bishops here now for this week on retreat, and it's always good to be with them. Do you get nervous as being a host of of all these men who uh, oversee all these dioceses? Yeah, a little bit of pressure because we are the host diocese. We have a you know this beautiful retreat center here at Bethany, and something I'm very proud of as bishop. So uh, the bishops actually have been coming here for many years, uh, almost since the the center opened. Really, and and they love it. Well, if you're a bishop from the Northeast or Mid Atlantic to to come to you know beautiful Tampa or Lutz in this case for a week, you know the the weather's beautiful and it's a nice environment. It's very relaxed and very private. This time last year. You were going to Chicago. Did you have a retreat locally here following that? We didn't, actually. That took the place. Okay. Uh, and, and around the United States, many of the bishops go on retreat right after New Year's, like we do here. And uh, most of them did use that week in, in uh, Chicago at Mundelein Seminary for their retreat week. As we recollect, uh, over a year ago, that was a lot of that was for healing and reflection on the things that took place really in 2017 and 2018, and what was to upcome in 2019. Have you seen any fruits from that? Oh, I, th- I think I have. I mean, the first of all, the week was, was incredible, you know, a very spiritual week. Remember, we met, the bishops did, up in Chicago last year, last January, because the Holy Father, Pope Francis, asked us to do so. And the reason he asked us to do that is because he knew that we would be making some important decisions and choices with how we were going to handle and respond to the to the current abuse crisis that the church is facing. So we, we took that week for prayer and for discernment, a little bit of discussion, although it's a retreat, it's not a business meeting, so it was really spiritually focused. And also, one of the great blessings was that the Holy Father, Pope Francis, sent the preacher to the papal household, Father Cantalamesa, who's now in his 80s, but really an incredible man and uh, very spiritual, very prayerful, and very insightful. So I think the really that planted the seeds, uh, which led to some of the actions that we took later in the year at the June bishops' meeting and then November of this year as well. You, you said that this one, the one in Chicago was more of a spiritual. The one that's taking place at Bethany this week, is that a mix of both business and spiritual? No, it's it's purely spiritual. A retreat by its nature would be an opportunity for prayer and for reflection. Here the bishops celebrate Mass together each day. We pray morning prayer and evening prayer together. We do share meals together. And there's a fair amount of downtime for personal reflection or reading or prayer, but then also some social time as well because, you know, we are brother bishops and it's good for us to be together from time to time to catch up. Sure. I know for our Spirit FM staff, we occasionally will bring in a speaker to help us, guide us in our spiritual walk, or to help us sometimes uh, tackle an issue that we might be dealing with. Is that the same with the bishops? It is. For this particular retreat, as with many retreats, you would have someone called the retreat master, and they're the one who is uh, presenting the talks. So each day, I, I think we have three talks that are given. 
They're usually about 30 to 45 minutes each. The presenter this year is Archbishop Al Hughes, who is the retired Archbishop of New Orleans and a very well-respected bishop. And so we're looking forward to, uh, to hearing his spiritual insights this week. Not only are the bishops on retreat, but some of our seminarians are also on retreat, those that are preparing for the diaconate, transitional diaconate, and for the priesthood. An exciting time for them as well. Oh, it sure is. And again, it's a, it makes sense. You know, we're at the beginning of a new year, so it's a great opportunity to, to look at our spiritual lives and kind of take an inventory of where we're at in our relationship with the Lord and what He has called us to do. And so it's, as it's important for bishops and priests to do that, it's equally important for our seminarians, and, and particularly those that are preparing to receive either diaconate or priesthood later this year. So yeah, all, both of our seminaries will be in, on uh, silent retreats, actually, this, this week. John, the bishops don't do a silent retreat. Maybe we should. But, <laughs> <need> more disciplined. <laughs> uh, I, I think the seminarians are maybe a little more disciplined than we are in that respect. <laughs> so I want to ask you about that, a silent retreat. What's the benefit? I know that you have said to our audience and to me personally, we need to listen to the Lord. Is that what the silent retreats are for? It, it is. It really helps you to focus on what the nature of the week or the retreat is supposed to be. You know, if you're involved in idle conversation or unnecessary conversation, you can kind of get distracted. Whereas on a silent retreat, you're not speaking to each other, uh, not because you're being rude to, to each other, but you're being respectful and want to set that time apart for God. You are allowed to speak, but it's usually to a spiritual director or advisor who would be available during the week for some spiritual counsel or to celebrate the Sacrament of Reconciliation. But really, the the silence is, is, as you just said, mainly to listen to the Lord and not to clutter our lives with too much unnecessary talk. Are silent retreats hard to find? I mean, I know that Bethany Center has things, House of Prayer and Clearwater. Do parishes do those kind of things? Typically, a a parish would, they might offer a silent retreat, but most often you would have to go to a retreat house uh, for a special retreat like that. There's two different types of retreats. You can have what they call a self-directed retreat, which is basically where you just go to a retreat house, stay there, spend time in quiet prayer, but you're not listening to talks every day by a retreat master. And then you have directed or preached retreats, which is what this one is with the bishops, where you actually have a priest or a bishop or could be a deacon or even a layperson who's giving talks every day, which you listen to and then reflect upon. If I'm going on a silent retreat and I'm there to listen to the Lord's voice, how do I know it's not me speaking to answer my own question or that's truly God speaking to me? <laughs> and that's a deep question. I yeah, think. it is. They, they kind of call that discernment of spirits. Is this the spirit of God or is it the spirit of the world? You know, that's speaking to me. And uh, that's a constant battle that we have to deal with. What I usually tell people is usually if it's God speaking to you, if it's his will or if he wants to tell you something, when you reflect upon it truly and sincerely, you generally have a peace in your heart and in your soul that, that you may not have, you know, if it's something that's purely of your design or of, of your initiative. Not to say that God's will is always going to be easy, may not be what we want to hear, but we're at peace with it. And that's usually a pretty good assurance that, that we're listening to the Lord. Going a little <clears throat> deeper here now. God, show me a sign. Can you give me a sign? Is that putting our God to the test? <laughs> Well, in a certain sense, it is, right? Because you're, you're, you're telling God, you know, I want you to prove to me that 
that this is what you're going to do or that this is what I should do. And that's what a lot of people want. They want assurance that, okay, this is God speaking to me and not John talking to himself no. to, to affirm what I think should happen. But that, that's why faith is a gift. You know, it's something we have to ask for and ask for an increase in our faith. You know, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Ignatian retreats. You ever Have you ever participated in any of that kind of thing? I haven't actually done a formal 30-day Ignatian retreat, which is based on the Ignatian spirituality, you know, a lot of scripture and a lot of reflection. Uh, but I have done other kinds of retreats. I have done parish-based retreats like Church, Christ Renews His Parish, Curcio, those kind of things. Very beneficial. Have you ever worked on any of those kind of teams? Yeah, both worked on them, but also um, have been uh, attended retreats. For example, I attended a young adult retreat when I was, uh, before I entered seminary in Orlando. In fact, in many ways, attended that retreat and kind of started discerning once again. How about that? Uh, It was just a weekend retreat. Was involved in my parish and at other parishes with, with what's called Focus, which is a weekend retreat as well. And I was part of the team for that. So I've been involved with many different kinds of retreats, and a lot of them follow the same format. You know, you have a retreat team. A lot of times uh, there'll be talks that uh, individuals will give on different topics. You have time to reflect on that and then discuss the talk in a small group setting. Over the holiday, we saw a couple of big things in the headlines. Uh, number one, involving the church. We saw the Holy Father in a awkward situation, I'll call it, out in the square, greeting the faithful, and a handshake that kind of went awry. (laughs) Yeah, I don't mean to to make light of that, but we really saw the Holy Father in a very human state, didn't we? If if anybody was able to see the video of what happened, uh, he was uh, kind of going through the crowd or by the crowd. There was a, a, a small wood barricade that separated him from the crowd, but he was close enough where people could touch him. A very exuberant person, a woman, couldn't wait for the Holy Father to come by. And when he did, he not only took his hand, but grabbed it and pulled the Holy Father towards her. As he was kind of cutting away. Yeah, and he got a a little bit angry, a little bit upset, you know, and kind of slapped her hand or her wrist a couple times, and then she released her hand. So we saw the, the humanness, the humanity of the Holy Father. And like many of us do, the next day he publicly apologized for his behavior and said he gave poor example and should have handled it in a better way. I was talking with my family a little bit about it, and I equated it to kind of like a mosquito bite or a bee sting. All of a sudden, something's pulling that you're not used to, and you just sort of smack at it, not even thinking or knowing it. And at least that was my impression. But I know other people took it the other way, so I think the Holy Father did a great thing and, and used it as a teaching moment for all of us. Yeah, he sure did. And as as we know, uh, Pope Francis very much is a person, a pope of the people, and uh, likes to be with people. He doesn't separate himself. As you know, he's not living in the, the, the papal apartment or <laughs> where the pope usually lives, but lives in basically a hotel within Vatican City and is with people every day. But there's also practical concerns for the safety of the Holy Father and his well-being. The one thing I was kind of surprised about was he does have like a security detail. Well, that was going to be and, my follow-up <laughs> question. And I'm not sure what they were doing when all this happened, but they didn't seem to, to, to jump into action like you might expect them to. I'm sure there were follow-up meetings with that detail, with the Swiss Guard and so forth. Looking at that, he's got to be in a tough situation because he does want to be out with the people, but like our parishes, he's wide open. Yeah, and, you know, the Holy, the Pope, I mean, whenever he shows up, I mean, there's going to be a crowd. 
I know people in our diocese come to see the bishop if he knows he's going to be at a particular parish for confirmation or another mass or celebration, but you can multiply that exponentially <laughs> for, for the Holy Father. I mean, he's around tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands, millions on some occasions at papal masses. He wants to be there with them, but there's practical things that have to be in, uh, taken into consideration as well. One of the big teaching moments was obviously he apologized, but he did it quickly. And oftentimes, I can't speak for you, but for myself, sometimes I'll hold on to that. My pride gets in the way to admit I was wrong on something. And I think that's part of the lesson that we can learn here is not to let that pride eat at us because it can leave sore feelings for myself and for the person that I victimized. Yeah, exactly. You know, the Holy Father knew uh, after it happened that he perhaps could have handled it differently. And he's called to give good example as the head of our church, as the spiritual leader. And so he did apologize in a very humble way. And that's a lesson for all of us. We shouldn't try to rationalize our actions or make excuses. Look, if we we did something we shouldn't have done, just own it, acknowledge it, apologize for it, and move forward. For you as a bishop, as you alluded to a moment ago, when you go to confirmation, it seems like the house is full confirmations, and I was witness to one uh, a few weeks back, 100 kids or more up near the altar. It's announced that Bishop's going to have one photo, group photo, and that's it, and then you come off, everybody swarms you. Is there a protocol for bishops and popes the way the public should be? You know, really, there's no formal protocol, and I guess maybe each bishop might be different, you know, in those situations. You mentioned confirmation. What I do is I do take a individual photo with each person, each of the um, teens usually that's confirmed, but the photo's taken when I'm actually confirming them. So at that moment that I'm making the sign of the cross on their forehead with the sacred chrism, or I'm shaking their hand and offering them a sign of peace, that's when they take the photo individually. And then we do one group photo at the end. But once that's over with, very often, uh, you know, there's people are all over the church, they're taking pictures, and uh, they want a picture with the bishop. I guess, first of all, John, I'm, I'm honored that they still want a picture with the bishop today. <laughs> uh, that's a good thing. And I try to be generous with my time. I guess all I would say is that maybe for our listeners or those who are asking, to realize that sometimes it's a time constraint. You know, I might have another commitment or obligation that day and only have a limited amount of time to transition to another event or might have some kind of physical issue or difficulty, like in my case, sometimes with my foot, so withstanding for a long period of time. So I try to be generous and and do as many of those things as I can. I know that you don't want to disappoint. And I think that's in the heart of Bishop Gregory Parks is, he doesn't want to let anybody down. No, no. I think my uh, priest secretary, Father Carl, is a little more of the uh, enforcer at those <laughs> events, and he'll let people know that the bishop needs to go or, you know, thank you. Sorry, he's not able to take any more photos or whatever, right. but I kind of leave that up to him. <laughs> now, real quick, some people, the tradition is when they greet the bishop or the pope, they want to kiss his ring. That's a tradition through the centuries, but over in the last few years, is we've seen that diminish some. What's the significance of the ring? Yeah. So the ring, a papal, uh, I'm sorry, papal ring, but also an Episcopal ring uh, that a bishop would wear is similar to what couples do when they get married. So when they, at their marriage ceremony or the mass, they exchange rings as a sign of their commitment to each other and their exclusivity for one another and their unending love for each other. And it's the same for a bishop with regard to his church, to his diocese. So the Episcopal ring or the bishop's ring is a sign that he is wed to his local church, to his diocese. 
you know, in a, in a very generous and loving way and an exclusive way. So it's uh, similar to, to really the wedding rings that couples wear. And just over, over time, people would kiss the ring, not so much in, I hate to use this word, in vogue anymore. No, it's not. It's uh, something which was common practice back in the day, but, you know, as a sign of respect for the, the bishop or in the case of the Holy Father for the Pope, some people today, some of the faithful still do that. And I'll allow it. I don't ask for it or don't expect it. But if they ask or if they just automatically do it, um, I don't want to embarrass them or have a kind of an awkward moment. Right. So, But it's nothing that a bishop really expects and don't ever ask for it. We saw also over the holiday there was a shooting at a, at a church in Texas. And that, again, raises the question that was talked about last year and the year before. It seems like there seems to be more religious violence in our sanctuaries and in our places of worship. And in this particular instance, a number of people in the congregation had weapons. The diocese does not condone that officially. Yeah, that that's correct. We certainly are concerned about the security of our churches, of our schools, of our parish campuses. And uh, this is something that we are looking at, but we would say that rather than individuals who may or may not be trained in security bringing weapons uh, into the church where, unfortunately, something might happen that's not intended, that we would rather have a armed and uniformed, trained security guard present who is formally trained in what to do in those situations, and also as a, a uniform guard would serve as a deterrent to somebody who might be there intending to do uh, something evil or criminal. I know that with that incident, it just reminded the pastors. It set off, you know, a yellow flag saying, okay, new year, let's reexamine what our plans are. And I know some parishes are very active. I know the diocese is all for that kind of thing. We sure are, and, and because, unfortunately, there's been so many incidents over the la- last number of years that we have offered training to our parishes, and uh, we do consult with professionals who are educated and do consulting with parishes or with dioceses on trying to improve their security procedures uh, so that we prevent anything from happening. But unfortunately, the reality is that a church and a congregation is, a, is what we, they call a soft target. You know, you have a, people that gather in peace. You have a large number of people gathering in a somewhat confined space. You know, we don't really monitor who's coming in and out as far as do they have a gun or not. Uh, we open our doors every, every day, every Saturday evening, every Sunday morning, and welcome people. But there are individuals who are intent on committing acts of evil, which uh, injure others or affect them. So we also have to look at what we can do prudently to, to, to keep the safety of our people. Well, as we close out our program today, Bishop, would you lead us in a prayer as we embark on a new year, a new decade that will be open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and God's will for this new year? Of course. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we enter into this new year, we invoke your blessing and your guidance and your Holy Spirit upon us, that you may guide us this year in our steps, in our paths that you may be with us when we encounter adversity or difficulty. We pray that your holy and healing spirit may be with us to have a year of good health and healing. And we just ask this year, Father, that we may grow in our relationship with you and with your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask all of these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 
For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.